0: Welcome and welcome back to Canada Homeschools. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be continuing my conversation with Janet LaSole, the author of Adventure by Chicken Bus. And we actually get into a conversation about world schooling, and she's going to give four tips for if you are considering world schooling. So stay tuned for that. Let's roll.
1: Oh, yeah,
0: Welcome to Canada Homeschools, the dose of inspiration and encouragement for Canadian homeschoolers. Canada Homeschools features interviews with homeschool group organizers, resource suppliers, and conversations with everyday homeschoolers just like you, all from a Canadian perspective. I'm your host, Rowan Atkinson. I'd like to thank you for joining me. Now let's get started. (laughs) <laughs>
1: in 400 meters
0: yet in 100 meters. How do you think this trip impacted your children? Do you think that your family did learn the things that you intended? And also, what are some things you personally learned that you did not expect to learn? So I think that's a few questions. I'll start with the first one again. How do you think this trip impacted your children? So I've already mentioned that my girls are all grown up now.
1: And I think the way I perceive their uh, attitudes towards other people of the world, particularly in terms of social justice i can see that their perspectives perhaps were were shaped by their experiences there so we were there for almost 2 years and we lived in a village they went to a local school that was the only time they ever went to school by the way and they agreed to it we we asked them if they wanted to do it it was particularly because we wanted them to learn spanish and they said yes because they wanted to make friends so they were integrated into the community and so i can see how their views on the world, it's so hard to know how kids are influenced by what's happening to them when they're younger. But I think that that's what's happened. Now, um, particularly with my youngest daughter, she actually speaks multiple languages. And I think that there was, um, I think that planted the seed in her to be interested in that. Now, I'm also a language geek. So she could have picked it up for me. Like I said, there's no real way of knowing. But she's actually been world schooling herself since she was 16. Now we can get into that term if you want, Rowan. World schooling is a whole, it's a whole phenomenon that's happening. Not right now because of COVID, but world schooling is a form of travel that has education at its core. So people are taking their kids on these trips around the world for educational purposes, but every family has a different objective. Our objective was for them to understand what it was like to live in the developing world and to learn another language and appreciate the culture. So my youngest daughter, who speaks multiple languages, and she's been traveling now since she was 16, I'm assuming, I'm thinking that she probably developed the confidence to travel as a young female by herself because she had this experience. She speaks other languages because she had that experience. Like I say, it's hard to know, but I do I do know that their worldview is is definitely runs to appreciating where people are suffering in terms of social justice. So I'm assuming that what they observed down there may have had an impact on them. Yeah, I think so.
0: That's excellent. And so my understanding of world schooling is that it is not like going on a vacation for two weeks, there's usually some kind of length of time involved in order to really experience what people experience wherever you're going, right? Yes, I am intricately
1: connected to the world schooling community. And all of them are usually like we did our trip was two years. And that's actually short for some of the veteran world schoolers out there. Now, just to be clear, world schooling People who world school don't necessarily homeschool and homeschoolers don't necessarily world school. I would say most homeschoolers don't world school. I would say the people who world school, a lot of them homeschool when they're on the road, love it, come back and continue to homeschool. But it is always an extended period of time. Some people who world school have been on the road forever. They start when their kids, when they feel that their kids are old enough, or whenever they develop this this uh, desire to travel, and they just go. They go to Panama for two years, and they go to Bali for five years. They might pop down to Australia. They this is a lifestyle. Some of them are orchestrating a reset. So it was like us. For us, it was a reset. We were in this mired in debt. We were really unhappy with the way things were going, we always loved travel. And we said, this is going to be something to sort of kickstart us into resetting our lives, which is exactly w- it, we accomplished that. So yes, world schooling is not a vacation. It's it's not really tourism per se. It's It's a exposing children to other parts of the world for educational purposes. That's right.
0: And I guess some people have to have transferable skills of some sort, like you and your husband were teachers. So that's something you can take all over the world with you. And occasionally on travels, sometimes you have to work for a little while just to keep the finances going for the travels. Yes. There is a lot of queries on the
1: Facebook groups that I belong to which is people saying, how do you afford the lifestyle? Because they want to do it too. I don't know how other people do it. Teaching is a really easy way to travel around the world, but other people are digital nomads. I mean, the virtual world right now, it's making it easier. If people can develop some kind of a career or develop a revenue stream virtually, it's, it, yeah, you could you could still travel as long as you have reliable internet
0: connection. Yeah. Yeah, the possibilities are endless now. Yeah. So you mentioned you're part of a community. And um, could you tell us just a little bit about the community? Like, there's a Facebook group, I think, and things like that. How could if someone's listening, how could they connect with the world schooling community? There are multiple world schooling groups on Facebook. And some of them are just
1: we're just plain old world schooling people, um, offering advice and tips, but there are some groups that are house swaps. It's pretty quiet right now. I mean, people are still posting, but it's really quiet right now because not a lot of people can travel, Makes sense. but people are planning on gearing up to something in the fall. So, but if people just go on Facebook and just put world schooling in the search bar, you know, there'll be a ton of there's other things too. There's like road schooling and travel schooling and world schooling and traveling with kids and families on the road. There's all kinds of different categories. I think I'm on every single one of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so fun. What are some things that you mm-hmm. personally learned on your time ta- uh, during your time in Central America that you didn't expect to learn? Other than the short, the scarcity of ladies' underwear. Yes, the scarcity of ladies' underwear. That was just a shock, but I got through it. with
1: my dignity intact. Um, I was always a nerd when it came to languages. Like I described, I was taking multiple language courses at university. And I knew that going down there would offer the girls an opportunity to learn Spanish. That was the whole point, one of the main objectives. But I was actually shocked at how easy the girls picked up the language. Now we live in a country where there's all kinds of people that come over here from other countries and pick up English, especially when they're little you know, they pick it up. But I had never seen that I had never actually witnessed somebody picking up a foreign language like that. Like I speak foreign languages, but I studied it. And then I went overseas. And but from that, from that beginning stages, when children are really small, and how I'm and because I'm such a geek, and I'm so fascinated with that, before my very eyes, I was I was saying, Oh, this is how they're picking it up. It's like, uh, the geniusness of a child's brain, it would just absolutely shocked me. And in fact, Both of them were fluent by the end of the time we were there, but each of them uh, acquired the language differently. Whereas my youngest daughter, who at the moment speaks many languages, but at the beginning, and she was really little, she was only five when we started. And she was picking it up, you know, slowly and developing vocabulary. And, uh, you know, once in a while I would see her speaking to somebody else. I'm like, oh, she can, she said that whole thing, like all the verbs, everything. But my oldest daughter, it wasn't the same. For her, it was like a light switch went on. She just came home and then boom, she started speaking to me in Spanish. And I said to her, what happened? She goes, I don't know, I can speak Spanish now. I I don't even know how to explain that. But I spoke to other people who said that they had arrived in Canada as a young child. And that's exactly what happened to them. They were sitting in kindergarten They didn't understand a word of English and it was like a light switch went on. So I guess everyone's brain is different, but that actually fascinated me, which tells you how much of a geek I am. But for me personally, I, I really had to come to terms with dealing with stress. So I I talk about this very candidly in the book because there could be people listening. They're like, oh, I could never do that. I could never do that. Now, there were some stressful moments on the trip. But because my husband and I had already traveled when we were younger and we had that, that burning curiosity about continuing to explore the world, it's not like we didn't have the stress that everybody else listening to this must be feeling, thinking about taking their kids backpacking through Central America. No, no, no. We still had that same level of stress. Like, I didn't, I'm not like confident. and like, oh, yeah, I can. T-. No, no, no. We have the stress. But the curiosity overwhelmed the feeling of stress. So that burning curiosity about exploring the world overwhelmed that feeling of stress. But I also did have to come to terms with myself personally. And there was a moment I talk about in the book where I had to come to terms with irrational stress. So I said, if I really feel like someone is in danger right now, I need to go to my husband and say, I don't feel comfortable with this. We need to do something about it. And I knew it was irrational, but it really did allow me to recognize my thought patterns. And I believe that was really helpful. I also, we both realized, but me in particular, because of the stress, we had, we were living on a really limited income. And that was the point. We didn't have much money to begin with because we were in debt in Canada. Then we got out of debt by selling all of our possessions. We sold every single solitary possession to go on the trip. So we were, then we were at zero. So at least we were at zero. Then we went on the trip. So and we were, we had some money saved from our garage sale money, but we didn't have a lot of income. And we said, Well, this is good, because we want to learn what it's like to live like the people do there on limited income. But there were things that came up, you know, a couple people got sick, we needed to go to the doctor that costs money, we had rented out our house back here in Canada, and a couple things went wrong, we had to find someone to fix or repair or whatever. So there were moments where we had financial stress and I really had to check myself and said, I am, I don't have the right to be stressed out about this because where I'm living right now in the developing world, I have nothing to complain about. So it was a reality check for me that I need to pick the moments where I'm stressed like sometimes stress in our part of the world is a luxury. Stressing out about, I even to this day think that. I think that, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I feel stressed out about things. And I'm like, yes, but I have like, I have a roof over my head. We have a stable income. Everyone's doing fine. I, and there's people in this world that are really suffering during this pandemic. So for me, it was a reality check. It was, and I didn't expect that. I I thought everything was going to be great. It was going to be so fun exploring the world. But no, there were moments where I said, okay, this is a lesson for me. I'm going to embrace that.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why we have the expression first world problems, even though nowadays we don't use the terms first world and third world. We prefer to say developing nations. But I'm just saying when we say first world problems, it really is trying to put it into perspective that the things that are a big deal to us, really in the grand scheme of life, we have everything we need and we have so much to be thankful for. And if we were in another situation, we would be whining about such a small thing right exactly totally agree and I think sometimes people who have less they almost seem to be more joyful because they do appreciate what they do have oh, that was definitely something we experienced when we were there just the joy
1: I mean the coast the, the it's like a an informal countrywide model that they have in Costa Rica which is called pura vida which means pure life. And it's like a joie de vivre. They really do embody that. And yeah, it was a, there was a lot of reality checks when we were down there. People were very loving to each other. They were the warm-hearted people, very family-oriented, uh, seemingly very happy. We don't know how those financial stresses burden them. But I mean, I was teaching ESL down there. So I had, a, I had contact with the locals daily. And I can see that they seem like very joyful people.
0: So this may seem sort of obvious, but can you discuss how homeschooling is conducive to travel and vice versa? Sure.
1: I've never been asked this question before, actually. Um, So thank you for that. When we decided, when we swapped those lists and we decided that travel was going to be part of our lives, we knew because of the effect that travel had on us as young people, we knew how profound the exposure to other cultures was on us. And everybody agrees. People agree that traveling is a wonderful form of education, but we think it's vital, particularly if you do it in a way that is, what I like to say is try to avoid the zoo behavior. So you're not going down there to like view the inhabitants of a country. Like you would go to a zoo and sort of view. We wanted to integrate as I've explained. So especially when you do it that way, when you become part of the community and try to learn the language and appreciate the culture, the educational aspects are, I mean, you cannot overemphasize how important that is for someone to learn that. But we wanted them, we wanted, like homeschooling was really conducive to education, to travel, because the girls did not have any classmates or those close friends in their classes that they would be separated from. We didn't have to worry about you know picking up the work from the teacher that they were going to miss. Um, they, it was It was sort of seamless, especially for the girls. I mean, the stress that I felt about their health and well-being like they didn't sense any of that. They were just having a blast. They were hiking in the rainforest and go to monkey sanctuaries. I mean, and I do think that homeschooled kids exhibit a certain natural tendency to learning. They have typically homeschooling parents sort of encourage an exploration of curiosity and so travel and homeschooling go together very well because you have kids that are their curiosity is still on fire they're still willing to explore they're not i mean and my kids weren't teenagers too so i do not know how that would work if they were teenagers uh but yeah it's 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 very adaptable the the homeschooled kids are used to being around their parents 24/7 that was we found there were a lot of people recently, there was a, um, uh, an Instagram post, someone put an Instagram post of my book and people were saying, it sounded like a really interesting book. And people were like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. There's no way I could do it. They had gone to Disneyland for two weeks with their kids and they were all going to kill each other at the end of the two weeks. So I do think there are certain skills that you build up as a homeschooling family. Like, you're around each other all the time, you have a certain way to communicate because you are together all time. you have a certain tolerance level, you know what buttons are being pushed. I think that we have certain skills that potentially other families don't have that make travel a little easier.
0: Yeah, it depends on how confined the area is that you're traveling in as well. Because I know we took our kids in a motorhome four teenagers in a motorhome to the East Coast. (laughs) and I would say we were happy to get some space afterwards for sure. But um, we had a great time when we were actually out exploring the Bay of Fundy and doing things like that, Um, Lewisburg and different things like that. But when we were cooped up for many, many hours in the motorhome, it always wasn't so pleasant and we had homeschooled them since birth, so... (laughs) It depends on how confined and how tedious the travel is, I suppose. We were in some pretty cramped um, environments
1: too, Um, but our kids were, were younger. So, and we were, you know, the attachment parenting, they were sort of, we were always used to sort of, we had a really small house and stuff, but yeah, I don't know, four teenagers in a motorhome, that would be (laughs) challenging, (laughs) I think.
0: We wanted to have one last vacation before our oldest went off to college, because I didn't really know if we'd ever have like a family vacation together, all together. Um, Once, you know, they all start to go their separate ways. And our, my husband's side of the family tends to want to always go south. And, um, and, you know, our kids are proud Canadians. And, they're like, let's, we have to go on our vacation in Canada. So, um, I mean, we've always vacationed uh, in Canada in the summers, but for, you know, when you go somewhere for a trip out of, Can- you know, out of the, your province, say, for example, then they wanted to see. So we, we did the East Coast and, and uh, so that's, that's what we were doing. And of course, me being history junkie, we had to stop at every museum <laughs> every fort. so we did skip one, <laughs> we did skip one on the way home by unanimous consensus of everyone but myself so the canada homeschools podcast is brought to you by headphone history your complete canadian elementary history curriculum headphone history comes with audio lessons stories and legends and a reproducible workbook designed for the whole family Go to headphonehistory.com. It's important for us to learn our history.
1: Uh, you would get along with my younger daughter very well. She has, we apart from this particular trip to Central America, we've done some other world-schooling adventures. And she, I did Europe with, I did a huge stint in Europe with her when my oldest was at college, actually. And she is uh, an anthropology junkie and a history junkie and she dragged me, but she dragged me to obscure museums. Like we would be in Rome and you'd go to sort of the typical things and she's like, Oh no, there's a free one here. And we'd have to find these back alleys. So yeah, you and her would get along very well.
0: (laughs) I'm sure she could teach me a thing or two. (laughs) So when everything opens up and we trust and hope that it will, What advice would you give someone who is considering embarking on a similar adventure? I actually wrote an
1: article uh, on this very topic for um, a website. So I've pilfered a couple of my notes from there. So the first thing I say to people is, is to go screen free. Now, some of these tips are directed towards uh, non homeschoolers, but homeschoolers as well. And I, I mean, unschoolers, Radical unschoolers tend to not limit screen time. We, were, we weren't we were that radical as unschoolers. Um, and we were always broke. As I've mentioned many times, we were in debt and we were broke. So we had like one crappy computer. And so there wasn't a lot of screen time. And we lived in the sticks. So we didn't have cable, blah, blah, blah. But people need to go screen free. They just do. And it depends where you go. I mean, obviously, if you're going to go to Europe or some of the more developed places, like Australia, the States you're going to have access to the internet, data, all of that. But if you do go to the developing world, you're not going to have access to reliable internet everywhere you go. Many places that you go, you will. But also, you want you want to experience the lifestyle, you want to experience what's going on down there. So going screen free is a key training component. So you're getting kids used to there's a lot of times when you're on a bus for three hours and you don't have data and you don't have access, what are you going to do? Now, this was, the trip that we took was a long time ago, like a long time ago, like 15 years ago. There wasn't the same level of technology as we have today. But still, even today, you want the kids to look at the view and you, but you also want them to be able to amuse themselves in some of these situations. And I actually give tips in the book about that. So going screen free is number one. Number two, I talk about this in the book is, as I know people have said to me, I would love to do what you've done, but I can't do it. I don't have the confidence. I totally get that. So what I said was go on a practice trip. And that's what we did. We actually did that before we went on the big trip. So we went on a two week holiday at Christmas time. Now we had friends of ours who had taught in Costa Rica. They taught ESL. And when they came back, they had a baby and we were visiting with them. And, and we said, you know, we were thinking about going to Costa Rica. Do you think you would go with your son? Would you feel comfortable? And they said, yes, the infrastructure in Costa Rica is fine. You will be fine down there with your children. But we st- like, especially for me, my stress levels, I needed to be comfortable. I had done so much traveling myself, but never with kids in a foreign country. So we actually did a two week stint over Christmas and we went down to Costa Rica and did a little bit of chicken bus touring just to see if we could manage it. And that built up our confidence. So this is what people can do. Like we talked about before, is world schooling really a two week vacation? Well, it can be if it's a reconnaissance mission. So if you go you know, to Costa Rica or anywhere, for 2 weeks but do it as a way to see are the kids able to go screen free are they are they able to amuse themselves in downtime you know are they fighting tooth and nail with each other if you can afford it go on a practice trip just for a short period of time to get comfortable build up some skills and then you can go on a larger trip later if you decide to the third thing is all homeschoolers can relate to this This is cook and eat each evening meal together seven nights a week before you leave. Now, as homeschoolers, we ate all three meals together every single day. So this was not an issue. Also, we were traveling on an extreme budget. We were traveling on an extreme, extreme, extreme budget. So we were traveling. Our monthly budget ranged from $600 a month to $1,500 a month. And, and like 1500 beans, a lot of rice and beans. <laughs> we were eating like the locals, which was the point. So in Mexico, it would have been a little bit more expensive to live in places like Nicaragua. It was really cheap, but that was our range. So world schooling is not eating at restaurants all the time. It's, you know, staying at hostels or campgrounds where you had cooking facilities, which we always did. And even I write about this in the book a couple of times, even when we could not find something like that like a campground or a hostel and we stayed at a little hotel we we always found we would go to the grocery store and find ways to to make a meal so that there has to be that that training where people need to be able to sit down with each other for three meals a day 7 days a week and then the fourth thing that i could offer people is to do tons of research tons of research i was actually shocked when i got back that i was talking to people about the trip and the people were talking about, Oh yeah, I know that I have this book trip to Ecuador. And my, my travel agent said, I don't need to worry about this. I don't need to worry about I can go ahead and drink the water. And I said to myself, you need to be relying on more than just what your travel agent says. There needs to be a ton. I did so much research. I talk about this in the book. I was meticulous with my research. And then when we got down there, there was all kinds of things that I missed, like there was the, the issue of malaria, the issue of dengue that, that doesn't show up in some of the research. And by the way, there is not a lot of information in the guidebooks or on travel sites that is directly linked to families traveling. Most families travel for a vacation. They go camping, they go to Disneyland, they go on these two-week, three-week vacations. The whole world schooling phenomena that I described earlier, there's hardly anything out there about doing that. The information that we're getting about world schooling is coming from the anecdotes from the world schooling community. There's probably about five books in total written about world schooling. Five to ten, I would say, mine being one of them. There's there's the information that we're getting about world schooling is very little. And so the research that is coming up is sometimes sparse. So I did all kinds of research and how to stay safe and, you know, do we need certain kinds of vaccinations? What are we going to do to safeguard our well being? And then when we got down there, it was like, oh, there's a huge dengue outbreak. I hadn't read that anywhere, anywhere. Nothing about a dengue outbreak. And there were pockets of malaria. So research and then more research is, is
0: the last thing. That sounds like all very good advice. Thank you. Well, it's been so great, Janet, having you on the Canada homeschools podcast and hopefully your stories will inspire people to at the very least get your book. And as I said, we will have that linked in the show notes for this episode and, um, and maybe they'll be inspired to do some world schooling as well. So thank you. Thanks, Rowan, for having me on the show. Take care. You too. Thank you so much for listening. You can find helpful links and show notes for this episode at our website, canadahomeschools.com. Please share this podcast with your friends and leave a rating and positive review on your podcast provider. This will help others find their dose of inspiration and encouragement. Happy homeschooling, Canada.